Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast, my lovelies. Uh, if it's your first time here, howdy. Uh, my name's Sanderson and I'm your host. And at the Lifefulness Podcast, we uh, get fascinating people who have got insights which are going to help you live your life. And the particular angle we have is that my co-host, who you'll meet later, James and I, we both run non-religious churches. So yeah, we happen not to be religious, but we then also go and look to religion in order to go and sort of like see the insights in it like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. what can we learn and that is what the life on this podcast is all about and the guest that we've got this week is an amazing guy his name is greg epstein uh he ran something called the humanist hub at harvard lots of h's there and uh he now works at mit as well he is also a journalist for TechCrunch about uh, ethics in tech and you know the sort of premise for it was like what can we learn from religion how can we go and fill the hole left in society let by religion and it, it became so much more than that it was when you've got someone like him who's just so learned uh then you just, I was going through it and there's just so many lovely little gems, uh, you know, you speak about how uh, your dream dying can be the best thing that's ever happened to you, how, you know, you can benefit from racism and be a victim of racism, how finding one hour of deep connection a week is transformative, how all he's working on in life is just to let humans know that being a human is enough. Uh, and then also one great thing, which was, uh, it turns out that his parents actually saved up money for him to go to therapy once he left the house. Yeah, so they'd saved up two years worth of therapy money. Well, that's just a, a lovely little tip there. So I'm sure you're going to love this conversation. Uh, as ever, if you like what we're talking about, if you like these issues that we bring up, there is the podcast, but we do this because there's a lifefulness community which meets in small groups. Go and check it out. The link is in the... Uh, bio. I'm even, it's quite funny, even as I'm speaking, I'm sort of pointing down as though I'm on video. It's just an audio medium. I'll get out of the way now and go and pass you over to Greg Epstein. Greg, lovely to have you here and welcome to the Lifefulness podcast. Great to be here, Sanderson. Thank you. Uh, how's it going? Uh, you, you know, you may have noticed there's a pandemic. Um, it's been a little isolating, uh, you know, great. <laughs> Never better. That question, <laughs> it's so weird. It's still, I mean, in uh, because you are a humanist chaplain, you have a humanist community builder as well. Uh, you will have found yourself in that. Uh, sometimes even outside of pandemic, you also ask that question. You say to someone, so how's it going? And you suddenly go, oh, Christ, you're your grandfather died last week, whatever it is, yeah. you know, and you just, I, I remember when I was in college, even I got this idea that, you know, you would meet people um, walking across campus and everybody would say, what's up, but nobody meant it. And I remember even like as a freshman, sophomore in college, it used to really bother me. And I, I had to teach myself how to say, good to see you instead of what's up. Because, you know, if I want to ask what's like, I'm the kind of person that if I actually ask you what's up, I would like to hear an hour about how you're doing. Um, and, you know, we, we don't always have time. And, and also, you know, there's the matter of being completely outraged and depressed. 
and um, overwhelmed by most of what we're going through and dealing with right now. So, you know, you don't just kind of throw in the the, the what's up um, without, you know, without, without, now you saying it to me, Sanderson, that's cool because, you know, we're here to talk. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, it, this is not, not a personal thing, but <laughs> it's just something that I've struggled yeah, with yeah, for yeah. the last 20, 25 years. I had, a, there's an American on uh, at Bristol University and he, I would fall for it, the sound of I'm a guy. And then he would start to, uh, he'd already, he'd already be past me. I think it's GK Chesterton who said that, it's like, I think it's either a scoundrel or something like that is, or a bore is, uh, someone who uh when you ask them how they are they uh they tell you yeah i i, I proudly a scan a, a scoundrel and a yeah. um, uh, but but i but but building community of scoundrels and boars i guess what a what a tagline uh and uh, so uh we are going to talk about the, the big headline was like what's going to fill the hole left by religion because you are as he said a humanist chaplain you're a, a humanist community builder and we're going to get into that uh, but one thing we always ask is uh, what is the uh, was the religious spiritual or philosophical background to your childhood um yes the answer to that question is yes um so um no i mean i i, I have uh I, couple parents that were nominally Jewish, um, but also not nominally in the sense that, that you know, it's, it's not coincidental that, that I ended up here given where they were coming from. My, my mom was a refugee from Cuba, a child refugee from Cuba, came to this country, America, this country, uh, by, by herself with nothing on two days notice uh, and was separated from her family for, for a couple of years uh, by the United States uh, immigration policies and and um you, you know i grew up really in in the shadow of those events um but my my dad um also came from a family of, of refugees um that had fled pogroms in europe um that you know pre predated the holocaust and and um his family had been kind of devastated by the whole transition from living there to living here and um his, you know, he took solace in books about comparative uh, religion and spirituality and mysticism. And, you know, I started noticing when I was uh, like preteen, early teen, that, you know, my dad didn't have a whole lot of possessions in life. Um, but what he had were his books about those subjects. And, um, you know, that that shaped me, Not, neither one of them considered themselves religious when, you know, when I I'd ask my mom for for food that we didn't have in the house. She would uh, open up the window and and yell to God and and ask him to 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 bring it to our house so that I could eat it right then and there. Um, never seemed to work. Okay. Um, and uh, you know that that's that's kind of a, a window into my upbringing. So you're half Cuban. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my my mom's family came to Cuba, also fleeing, um, you know, anti-Jewish pogroms that 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 mutated into the Holocaust. So, so my grandparents, my maternal grandparents had to flee their homeland twice in their lifetime. They had, they had to flee their, their homeland of Poland um, as young people, uh, make their way to Cuba, learn a new language, establish a new life, um, build a family. And then uh, as adults, um, you know, while raising two children, having established themselves there as, as small business owners and, and such, uh, they then had to first send my mother um, to the United States and then follow her with her sister two years later. 
and completely resettle themselves and, you know, and start the whole process all over again. That is amazing. I'm just going to back because when you said that, I was like, "You, this is the most surprising vision of a Cuban that I've ever seen." You know, when someone says where they're from, I was just like, "I, uh, I don't want to sort of judge you either way." But it was like, uh, "Yeah." So that is, I mean, what a what an well, upbringing. Was, I mean, you know, it was all about racism, by the way. I mean, you know, it, there. So there was this tremendous sense of of you know racism and bigotry in Europe, from which people fled. And then Cubans let you know white Jews in to Cuba because they were racist, and they you know and the the, the sort of um, his, Hispanic Spanish descended Jews, I mean Spanish descended uh, people that were uh, in power in Cuba, you know didn't like the the Afro Cubans that that were more numerous in some you know in many ways than so they let white Jews in. Um, and, you know, and then the, the whole cycle, you know, repeats itself, right? Then, you know, then, then America won't let Jews in, um, as it won't let a lot of, you know, but, but, you know, in this case, in my family's case, because it won't let, um, Latinos in, right? And so, you know, it's, it's all this series, my life really is a series of, of, you know, events where people are either fleeing racism, causing racism, you know, benefiting from racism. Um, it's really a, a amazing to sort of see how we were, our, our lives are just marked by that, that phenomenon. I mean, already this, uh, that question has led to whole new places where, because I have uh, known you uh, for now seven years and sort of uh, followed your career from afar and seeing, and this is all, it's amazing. Uh, we The second question we always have is that what is the, uh, What's a lesson that you think that our society could learn from religion? And I mean, as you know, you're a humanist rabbi. Uh, you have uh, sort of, I think behind you, there is your own book. Nice product placement. I like oh. it. Good without God. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, yeah. and then, uh, yeah. So like, what would be uh, one major lesson do you think this secular rising world that we live in now could learn from religions? You know, also behind me is uh, AOC on a poster that says, not me, us, uh, which is Bernie Sanders slogan. And, um, you know, that's something that that people could learn from religion um, and from AOC and from Bernie and from from other people like them. Um, you know, it's funny how we could learn it from both um, the, the right, both the sort of secular socialist tradition which was informed in some cases by religion and the religious traditions that are in some cases informed by secular socialism could stand to learn from one another how to live not for me, but for us. It's not easy to do. It's really, <laughs> you know, even I, I, like Sanderson, I love the, the Florence song that you played before for, for folks. And, um, you know, music has kind of gotten me through the pandemic when 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 other things failed at times i was thinking about the song you know you've got the love and and you know her like reliance on the other and her love for the other that, that comes through in that song right and it's you know and I, I think you play it obviously as a kind of secular liturgy right like it's it's a secular gospel song the the thing is there's not that many people in our lives or that many circumstances in which we really feel like 
we're speaking to the other person who's got the love that we can rely on that we that is that that can make us whole that can make our lives worthwhile like to have that feeling of connection of of genuine like my relationship with you is such that life and being in the universe is enough and my imperfect you know temporary um, mortal and vulnerable existence feels like enough because of my relationship with you. That's really freaking rare, that experience. And, and to actually cultivate more of that, you know, and, and I don't mean more of that, like, wow, I filled my 24 hour a day with it, but I'm talking about like to, to even get to the point where we feel like a few minutes of that every day or, 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 you know, you know a couple hours of that every week, um, is a serious undertaking. And, and both people like me could learn from religion or people like us could learn from religion. And I think, you know, there are ways in which religious people can learn from us about it too. But we all, we all got to teach each other because that's not easy, not easy lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always ask that question. There's also, yeah, there's sort of learnings in all directions. And uh, so James, we've got this big topic of like, what can we do to, uh, which is to fill the hole left by religion. You've known Greg a long time. What's the best uh, question to get him to open up uh, into this topic here? This isn't a stag do. You're not, I don't want you to slag him off. Like, it's not meant to roast him. I never him. would. Okay, There's good. There's nothing bad to say about Greg. Roast. Greg is one of my, <laughs> people I consider, consider a mentor, someone I look up to enormously. So we've known each other ages, and I got to know you when I came to the Graduate School of Education at Harvard to study for a master's degree in you know, we met in that event you held in the dorm, the graduate dorm I was living in, where it was you and a Christian minister, campus minister, and, and me as the only participant in the event. And uh, we kind of ganged up on him um, and then kind of developed a relationship from there. And you, for people who don't know about your illustrious and impressive career, you're the first ever humanist chaplain at Harvard and one of the few humanist chaplains at any university now the oh the second sorry yes of course because tom was uh, yeah i forget, shouldn't forget tom but the second humanist chapter in harvard <laughs> and, then, and one of the very few at any American greg epstein university. goes on lifefulness podcast and erases his predecessor yeah. yes, completely right. usurping but the his first legacy at mit now right you've recently yes, become yes. the humanist chaplain at mit mm -hmm. and so you've been involved in building community for humanists and the non-religious for years before been, it was it's been cool. a long time now yeah like pre-sunday no, assembly pre like like i had a i had a birthday the other day and and you know one of the organizations that i first worked for the society for humanistic judaism which recruited me into humanism back in 2000 tweeted at me you know and it's like they were they were like trying to you know bust my chops a little bit but also nice you know and, and they said something about you know the og and i was like no you know what no, I'm old enough to be the OG at this point. That's that's good. I'm owning that. Um, no, it's been 20 years um, that I've been involved with humanism now. And um, it's been uh, 16 and a half, almost 17 at Harvard. And um, now I'm in my my third year as a chaplain at MIT as well. And I, I have this fun title at MIT now called uh, Convener for Ethical Life um, at, uh, at the Office of Religious Spiritual. That's life. amazing. Is it, what, have, what have you learned? I mean, you've dedicated your life to this work. Why? Why, why do you think this is important? And what? Yeah, you think about it. You're like, yeah, you tell me. So why do you think this is so important? And what have you learned about it? Uh, 
I mean, thanks, James. By the way, you, you know, you've you've made so much of my life worthwhile. Um, and you know, it's it's great to be able to talk to you. I mean, you know, Sanderson is uh, is a star, and we all know Sanderson. Um, and and it's good to get a chance to talk to you um, also. But I do want to say James has been one of the most um, important people in in my life and career. Um, and, uh, and, and it's really, you know, thrilled to come and, and just check out what you're doing for your work these days, James. Um, so, you know, and never forget, by the way, like for, for those listening, you know, whatever the equivalent in your life would be of my life as an organizer of things back in like 28 or whatever it was, 2007, eight, where I organized an event where I was going to be, you know, speaking, having a dialogue with with somebody that um, I respected, and also sometimes, you know, very respectfully, very strongly disagree with. But anyway, it's you know, an event. You want an event to be successful, and it's very, very easy to define successful events as how many people show up. And so, you know, I I, I organized this event, and literally one person shows up, and it's you know, so the speakers outnumber the the audience. <laughs> By a factor of two. It sounds like right? a show on the fringe. You know, and, and just never underestimate the fact that whatever your equivalent would be of that, I mean, if you're a plumber, I guess the equivalent would be, you know, seemingly like, you know, you go in there to operate on the boiler and you cause a leak and it's gushing, right? But that that moment um, could lead to one of the best connections in your life and one of the people that you most admire um, joining you in your career and, and um, down your sort of life path. It, it's very cool. So um, with that, uh, you know, I'll say, um, I think the question was sort of like, why did I do this? And, and the, the I think it was answer... about four or five questions there amid some compliments and then, but really you take it in the direction you want, Greg. He, he's got a PhD in how to ask those questions. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the answer is sort of like, what's this even anyway, because, um, I've been, privileged enough to have a 20-year career where I've been working on the same thing for 20 years now, um, but where the thing that I've been working on that's the same ostensibly has changed repeatedly. Um, and so when I first got started, I was I spent my first few years in humanism um, getting ordained as a secular humanist rabbi, uh, which was some of the, probably the best education I've ever had in my life. Um, and uh, really wonderful experience. But then I've, I've never, I've barely worked a day in my life as a congregational rabbi, um, if ever, you know, depending on how you define it. I mean, a little bit. Then I got involved in, you know, becoming a humanist chaplain at Harvard and, and spent a bunch of time um, as a chaplain uh, at Harvard, you know, meeting and recruiting and, you know, building things with people like James. And then from there, you know, got the idea to start a congregation, which, you know, you, you know, uh, a, a thing or 3000 about Sanderson. And, and um, we built a, a congregation called the Humanist Hub, which, which was sort of, um, it was our attempt to, you know, really have the whole shebang with, with bricks and mortar um, and furniture and, you know, a band and, and the whole thing, right? Um, we did that for like 10 years. Um, including five years where we really, you know, we were paying, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars a year just on rent. Um, and, and we were, um, 
And we held, you know, over a five-year period, we probably held about a thousand meetings. Yet that's over now. Like that's been over for a good couple of years now, more than two years now. Um, Can I and, stop you and there now for one? This other thing. I was gonna say, so yeah, sure, please. Can I stop you there? How good did it feel when you shut it down? Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 Talk to me about that, because I think for a lot of people, they don't quite fully understand. Like it must have been. You must have had a process of realizing it wasn't working and then, yeah, talk us through it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, fine. I'll tell this story because I don't get a chance to tell this story that that often, um, especially not with what I'm working on right now. No, I mean, I remember, so the, we ended the congregation, you know, it, it, it had its way of kind of continuing into late 2018, uh, very beginning of 2019, but it really for all intents and purposes ended at the end of May of 2018. And I remember, you know, I, I live in New England, there are these, you know, long, hard winters. And I remember at, at the beginning of March uh, of that year, it was becoming pretty clear that if this was going to end, um, that, you know, that, that the 18 or 1900 meetings that we'd held at that point, you know, in this congregation, were going to be, you know, that, that, that the last 50 or 100 that we had left were going to be among the last. And my wife and I would start to go for walks on Saturdays and Sunday mornings that we had never had time to do for five, six years. Like my, she had really gotten accustomed um, to living with me and getting to know me. Like, like this whole process was beginning when she and I met and she really had gotten accustomed to living with me without getting a chance to really spend much time with me on the weekends. Because, you know, like Saturday, I was rushedly kind of preparing and, you know, maybe we'd get to go on a date, you know, maybe we wouldn't. Um, but I was kind of feeling queasy if, if there was something big happening. And God forbid, you know, if I was giving a talk that I would even speak to anybody the day before. Um, and then, you know, and then Sunday morning, I mean, come on, it's, it, you know, like every second um, is devoted to this. And so, um we would start going on these walks and we literally just started looking around at nature like, oh, oh, you, you mean we can go places? And so there was that. And then, and then, you know, I got a salary back because the last year before you shut a congregation down, you know, I, I, I would think, um, you know, if it's something that you've really dedicated, just, you know, you, you give your money away, you know, you, 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 you know, you make sure that you're paying everybody else before you pay yourself. And, you know, you like, you watch your savings account dwindle. And that's, that's cool because it's like, it's a project that you believe in, but you know, man, it was like, oh, there's another life. And I, and I say this because, you know, for those of us who worked on congregations, in the secular and humanist world, I, you know, I like to think that we did it, we did it for a number of reasons. I mean, come on, like, let's not put aside the ego and the, you know, everybody that goes to, that goes into performing, wants a place to perform, wants a place to be in the spotlight, you know, maybe even wants to be a little bit of a star or this or that way, whatever, you know, and, and I had my, my issues with that and my, and my desires for that. But, but also there's the sense for me of like, this feels like a really, you know, I'm, I'm in, in my head of like 2011, 2010, you know, 2013, like 
this this seems like a thing that the world needs and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be determined and I'm going to make it happen and we're going to bring the people together and you know we're not going to take no for an answer and you know sometimes you you got to you got to let that go and and think like no there there are better ways to 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 change the world and improve the world than the thing it, that that I was exactly trying to do this past few years and you know happens in people's lives and careers in other fields too right I was, yeah, so I was just going to like go, one, thank you so much for sharing that. I was just thinking, James, if you, you wouldn't mind, that uh, as we sort of frame this conversation, it could be quite good because we sort of said it's like what can fill the hole left by religion. And I think that, you know, when you go and look at your career, you're sort of really going into, as a non-religious person, sort of doing this sort of work in a religious way, whether it be a chaplain, whether it be in your congregation, whether it be as a secular uh a secular uh, rabbi. And I just thought it'd be quite good to sort of qu quickly frame it and say like, what is the hole that you're filling? You know, as a non-religious person, what are, what are you trying to sort of uh, put back into society? What needs are you trying to answer? Just so that we could sort of define what is this hole left by religion. Right. Right. And, and also, and either, you know, what isn't the hole that you're trying to fill, right? Or at least like, what are some holes that it's okay to not fill, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the stupid analogy that just sprung to my mind is like, you know, you don't want to be the kind of person that like is, is cradling a, a hunk of Swiss cheese saying, I've got to fill the holes. I've got to, right? Like, like, no, it's cheese. It's okay. It's, it has holes. It's fine. You know? Um, and so, but there are holes in our lives that, that, that are worth filling. Um, you know, not everything is that hunk of Swiss cheese, you know? And so, um, there is a difference between people have gathered in this congregational setting over time and, um, it has worked for people in a lot of ways and been important to people in a lot of ways. And so therefore as a non-religious person, I must, you know, replicate that model. Um, and and then saying, on the other hand, um, people have um, gathered in this way because they need something. And you can call it you can call it community. The only problem with the word community is is that it's been co-opted by everybody. I mean, you know, like if there's a if there's a brand of soap or a car or a pair of jeans that hasn't co-opted the word community, you know, to sell more of their product, you know, what are they even doing? You know, welcome, like get on it already. Welcome to right? the Urban Outfitters community. What right, does exactly. that mean? We market yeah, you more than we do anyone else and you buy our stuff. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so, so you can call it community or you can call it, uh, you know, I mean, as you do lifefulness or you, you can call it, um, you know, a sense of meaning and, and purpose, what, whatever you want to, I, you know, I don't even care um, what the name is. Uh, I think we, we kind of have a sense of what we're talking about here. And, you know, it is the sense that um, you are more in your life than a consumer of, of goods. You are more in your life than a, a taker of orders. Um, you are more in your life than you know, a machine, you're more than, you're more in your life, by the way, than, than a displayer of trophies. Because a lot of times what we're taught, um, especially people who gravitate towards high achievement in various ways, what we're taught is that we're really not valuable as human beings or worthwhile as human beings, unless we achieve and produce 
and show how good we are um, it, through competition. And so unless we have trophies behind us on a display case, you know, literally and or metaphorically, um, we're really not justifying our existence. You know, it, it's having experiences with other people that affirm and solidify this sense that, that we're more than any of that. And that, that simply being a human being is enough and that it's enough to allow us to, to connect with other people, to, to have, you know, to have love and, and compassion and empathy for, for them as imperfect people and them and, and allow them to love and care for us without, without sort of pushing it away. Like, like, I don't really want that or deserve that or what, you know, and, and that's, that is ultimately what I like working on. And I do think that it's helpful to do that kind of work from a humanist perspective, both because too many times that, that work gets tied up with theological concepts that are at the very least not useful to you or me um, and, and sometimes damaging. And also just because even if religion never existed um, by some quirk of history, we would still need that work. We would still need to affirm who we are in, a in the face of industries and institutions that want to define it for us. Just going to interrupt the pod there with a message from our sponsors. And the sponsor for this podcast is the Lifefulness Project itself and our community. So uh, one way of thinking about it is that it is uh, a support team for your life from a community of your peers. And so we meet up how many times? Twice a month uh, for online group coaching. And we go and use this uh, podcast and the topics we discuss here as a jumping off point for really in-depth discussions. And it is, you know, you heard Greg talk about how, like how transformative it is to have real connection. That is what we're building. So please go and check it out. We are the idea is to start off online, but then to move to offline. And we would, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, back to Greg, because he's great. Yeah, that's such a useful way of looking at it, of like that functional way of like that there are needs that we have and that, you know, it's not saying that it's only religions that can meet them, but actually there are some things which religions have done. And that's like, so and, and that's where I go and push up against the, uh, the language as well, where it can be a useful thing to go uh, and use re religious language because, you know, you do it in your yourself and you're, you're a chaplain. That's origi originally a religious term and you get an understanding of what that does and it is useful. At the same time, you probably have to every now and again go, well, I'm actually not religious, what have you. And uh, it is of like, how can we uh, go and say there's like a religious like structure which isn't a religion. And, and so for us, the idea with lifefulness was that uh, in the same way that mindfulness has sort of created something, which is a word which you now long, you go and use it so often that you no longer are really even thinking of it in a religious context. And loads of people don't know that it came from, uh, that it came from sort of uh, adapting Buddhist meditation of like, what can it mean to create a word which comes from that, but has done some sort of like metamorphosis where it has is no longer attached to all of those things. But it is 
it is uh, hard to do. And then James, do you want to go back to your question, which uh, or really anything else that you've from what you said, but I, I, I know I jumped in to go and define the problem a bit. Well, I was just thinking, I was trying to think through, you, you were talking, Greg, about how you've kind of, you, you let the congregation go and it opened up a lot of other ways that you can fulfill the need, right, that you, you saw. But can you tell our listeners, what was the need that you felt people had that drove you to want to build that community? Like, what was it that makes you feel like that was important? And how are you fulfilling that need now? Yeah, I mean, I want to say that there were things that I thought people needed that I was wrong about. And there were things that I thought people needed that I was right about. So, you know, I thought at a t for a time that people really needed that, that very specific structure of membership and, and, you know, day by day meetings and rituals and that sort of thing. Um, because they, you know, because there was something that they were really missing um, in their lives, you know, by not having that structure. You know, there's a lot of ways to nuance it, but let's just say I was wrong in the sense that, um, you know, it's not that people don't need it at all. Um, you know, it's certainly a very interesting thing to have and, and, and can be a really positive thing to have if you've got people who are willing to build it and you've got people who are willing to participate. And, you know, we had people who are willing to participate, but at a certain point, um, you know, we lost the, the willingness to, to build it um, because it was just too hard. It's just too, too, too hard to build. Um, and, um, and, and in order to build that sort of thing, you know, I think you need to be motivated by the feeling of, at least I did, by the feeling of this is the one problem in the whole freaking world that I want to solve. And, and I'm willing to spend my entire life on it and do this until I'm dead. And I lost that feeling after a while. Um, and I think that the reason is that, that sort of what broke off from it in the way that, you know, you see like the you know, the, the Perseverance uh, rover is, is heading towards Mars and the heat shield drops off and then the jetpack drops off and starts firing its rockets. And then finally, like the little Perseverance little rover lands on Mars. And what, what was ended up being the little rover for me, beside, you know, beside the other parts of, of, of the, the contraption that fell off, was this sense that being a human being is enough and can be good that little statement is not to be taken for granted whatsoever that that to to be able for myself and with others to live a life where i felt like being a human being is enough and 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 is good it takes such hard work also um and and doing the work with other people is is really what i'm still here for i mean that it's amazing how those small phrases of being a human being is enough that i mean that clearly to you means the entire world and it is uh and and you know i i get it that the, the we spend so much of our time thinking when i go and when i get this when i go and get the job the wife the husband the the dog the whatever it is then i'm going to be accepted then i will have but to just know that you're enough is it's not even knowing i think it's feeling it isn't it because like, there's so many of these truths which we sort of know oh God, you know and it's that difference between uh, i don't know if you've got any family members who uh any parents who you technically and i'm doing inverted commas you know they love you but you don't always necessarily feel loved <laughs> 
And I think one of the, I say that like just hearing that one of the things which I think religious structures are sort of quite good at or, and you, you can look at like, what is it like football teams and sports teams as other people who help you really clear about things, but they're really great at like saying, you have got this idea that, you know, being human is enough. And then here are some ways that you can really go and feel that and you can go and explore that with other people. So what does that look like for you at the moment? How do you go and help people connect to this huge thing that being a human is enough? Like what's what can someone listening to this think I can do that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I studiously uh, avoid uh, these days trying to trying to bottle it up and, and package it into like, you know, here's my five easy steps to feeling like being a human is good enough. And, and I'm sorry, I don't have the answers really, but but I am a chaplain where you know i have a specific group of people that i work with and and try to like talk with them over a period of time and and help them to figure out what the answer for themselves are you know, is um you know i'll say a couple other things one you know and i'm glad like uh, you know i suppose like at some point to put together some kind of book or whatever i, I might have to come up with my five rules but i'm really kind of Glad. like I don't you don't, you can't make me like I'm not going to package this right now I, I just won't do it so um you know but anyway um the um the relationship that you described the hypothetical Sanderson you know right I, I, I'm sure it was just completely out of thin air that you made that up right you never had anybody in your life that no but that was my relationship <laughs> with my dad yeah, I mean yeah, that yeah. was it in a nutshell right like like that that you know my dad was a person who was so he had been taught so painfully that he was not enough and that he could almost never be enough and that the things that he would have to do to be enough were so difficult to do or so scary to do that that it really crushed him from you know and um and and I was born when he was on the older side um and you know he was 41 when I was born and and so, and he died when he was, he was 59. And so, you know, I got to see him in this period of life where, where he was already kind of beaten down by this whole idea of I'm not enough, he thought to himself. And so it was very difficult for him to convey to me, you know, that I was enough, right? And, and so, you know, I remember like being 16 and, and being really preoccupied, like my dad never told me he loved me, right? And it took years and years and years to figure out like, oh yeah, he never told you he loved you because of like a thousand cuts to his ability to, to even feel comfortable with the concept of love, not to mention masculinity, right? Like he could probably say it a little bit more to my mom, you know, after, uh, you know, because, because of, uh, you know, a, a thousand lessons about heterosexual masculinity, but to say it to me as a, as a young man meant a whole different set of things to him. And it just wasn't really possible for him. Right. And so now, you know, I, I think about my son. I have a, I have a four-year-old son who's my best friend. And, I hope you're not um, telling him that you love him because that will, it will make him soft, mate. You have got to keep him striving, keep him, to, keep him on the boundary, tell all of your friends and relations that you're proud of him. Never let him know. He's got to know that you're proud of him via other people. I've picked up a few uh, sort of yeah, uh, dis parenting tips with Sanderson. Yeah, like, that, like, few... that, like that gif, right? There's a, there's a gif of a guy going, tapping his forehead. Yeah. I thought of it. Um, the distant no, but, but... father, the distant parent, the distant 
assistant father parenting technique book. <laughs> you know what I what I want to say about that is is you know actually sometimes I, I I have like my little ways where I say the words I love you to my son like I usually say it as he's basically starting to drool on himself as as he's falling asleep and I'm walking out of the bedroom at night, but you know and I say it at other times when I think it's important for him to hear it. But no, it's it's harder than that because the idea, but it's better than that. Because the idea to me is, is how to show him with absolutely every single day actions. Like where, where he doesn't, where, where, where when he sees, when he hears me say, I love you, he kind of almost knows that I'm like trying to make a point because, because it's like, yeah, of course you love me, dad. Like, like your behavior is, it makes it very, very, very obvious that you love me. And that's really hard to do, but it's so incredible. Um, and you can only do it in certain ways. Like, like you can't really live your life like that with all of humanity. Um, you know, because you can't love all of humanity in yeah. that way, you know, where, where humanity looks at you and like says, James, no, it's okay. We, we know it's very, very obvious that you love all 8 billion <laughs> of us, right? Yes. No, I mean, you know, maybe for you actually, Jay, I mean, if anybody, but that I know, like James, James might be up there on that. that Not scale, after but... the year we've had, <laughs> I pretty much hate everybody now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Fuck you and you and you and you, yes. yeah, right. But, but, um, <laughs> But you know, but that's the thing, right? Like, like a pandemic real reveals that aspect of our humanity. Like, we it's not easy to to feel and experience that kind of love and and of of that that amount of being loved. But the idea is, like, can we work on it in public together in a way where it's like, even if the people around you in whatever community institution you're building aren't like. We're not trying to say that we're all going to be, you know, standing in a circle and we're all going to be directly responsible for one another feeling love. But can we all like acknowledge that that's a basic thing that we all want and need and that we're going to play some small part in each other's journey towards that? And, and sometimes it looks like actually really loving your friends and neighbors, you know, in the sense of like really connecting with them deeply, vulnerably through, through mutual help through celebration, et cetera. And sometimes it just looks like just, just you know, that, that, that famous quote, I think it, it was at Vonnegut who said, you know, be kind, everyone you know is fighting. A, 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 no, that's not Vonnegut. It's um, be, Vonnegut was what, be kind, damn it, right? Something like that. Yeah, anyway, um, but that idea of like, you just kind of talk to people and relate with them in a way where you try to, you know, gesture towards their full humanity you know, even as you've experienced your own. And, and that involves sacrifice. Like it's going to mean you're, you're going to have less money at, at certain times because you're going to be tipping really hard. You know, it's going to mean, um, you know, you've got less time at, at times for your own stuff because all of a sudden, like other people's stuff really matters. And God, ugh, I wish I had more time for my own thing. And how do I, you know, make the, make the, you know, this, the, the, the balance between to the two, but it's, it's just, you know, acknowledging that that we need we need something in ourselves and in other people that that acknowledges humanity first and foremost before we can then go out and figure out like okay am I gonna earn this much money in a career or am I gonna you know get involved with this hobby like who is who is the human being that I'm really trying to to, to be and what is the human life that I'm really trying to cultivate like to have a place in your life where that comes first. There was, uh, that made me go and think of another guest we had, Elizabeth Oldfield, who is, uh, runs a Christian think tank called Theos, or it's a 
think tank about faith called Theos. And she was talking about uh, her, the church that she went to. And at there was at one stage, her, uh, her husband like had been speaking about where he was in his life and where they were financially. And someone, someone just went and gave them like, gave him money to get therapy. Like, and not in a passive aggressive way. <laughs> yeah, like, you really need this. No, no, but someone just went and it was like, and I think that's, and then there was someone else that heard that they, their car had broken and someone in the congregation gave them their car. And I think we are so, like to hear about that of like, that is, and you, I think that's like more common in Christian communities than in humanist ones where like that type of service and that sort of, uh, donation and giving away like I've heard more of those stories from those spaces and and when I one thing I've reflected on in Sunday assembly was that with sometimes in community it's not about uh, it's not necessarily about getting more friends but it's about loving people that you don't like and the like we are able like there's oh look there's stinky Pete you know I love him. I'm not necessarily going to hang out with him in a whatever it might be, but like there is that sense that we are really together and that you do go and see, you know, everyone's humanity, even if you, you know, you're not sort of going to be best friends with everyone. Uh, one, one piece there that really stood out to me, I mean, among a lot, I mean, cause you know, we could talk like the, the technical parts of building community all day, but I love what you said about, um, that you get money to, to go to therapy, right? Like that, that's a random gift that you can get from someone in your community, however you define community. Like, like think about in, from my perspective, all the people who could use that and how few of us get it. You know, I, I did, I, I, my parents did say, you know, my, my mom, I, I specifically remember her saying, and I think it was my dad's wish too. Um, you know, Hey, listen, Greg, we're going to do the very best we can. And beyond that, uh, we're going to save a little extra money for your therapy bills for what we screw up. And it was real, by the way, like my first couple of years of therapy, uh, of many, you know, they, they actually did pay for. And, um, and what an extraordinary gift. And, and, but by the way, every human being essentially deserves that gift, but there aren't enough therapists to go around and most people won't get it. And it, you know, to me, I go directly and it's a weird transition I recognize, but I go directly from the comment that you made Sanderson to reparations, right? Like uh, it, it, for those of us in the United States that the topic of reparations has become uh, a topic more and more in the last few years, right? Like the fact that we've basically built our entire society in this country, um, this very rich country on the backs, the literal backs of, of um, enslaved people that we, that we stole from Africa, whose lives we stole from Africa. Um, and you know how we, we've, we've so brutalized people in this country that um, even at long after, you know, the Ta-Nehisi Coates who wrote the, the famous piece on reparations for the Atlantic um, in, in 2014, uh, has this image that he 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 gives he gives in that story where he says, you know, we we act like um, a uh, a mugger who's you know stabbed his knife into somebody's gut and then pulled it out and said, what? I, I stopped stabbing you. Um, you know, like what? Why? What are you looking at me for solutions for? And um, to think about the need that we've created in our society through our brutality, through our um, 
a materialism, through our um, achievement-orientedness, through our competitiveness, through, through our deep fear that we ourselves are not enough and that we must, we must make ourselves and, and one another enough through conquering other people, through beating other people, through, um, through you know, being better in, in this very aggressive and hostile way. And think about how much need for therapy there is because of that, because we've all lived as part of that system, every single one of us. And so if you can build something in your life, whether as an organizational leader or just a person in whatever job, whatever family, whatever city you're in, if you can build something that counteracts that to some degree for yourself and for the people that you care about and to some extent for the world, even if just by as a model for the world, then you've done a tremendous amount and your life has been incredibly meaningful. I want to say something here. I don't exactly know how to express it, Greg, so I apologize if it comes out wrong. James is totally against reparations and <laughs> and he started a movement called Black Lives Don't Matter. James, I never, I didn't think you were going to bring it up on this pod, but... Everybody uh, on this whole thing, it. Zoom is canceled. You're canceled, you're canceled, you're canceled. We're all canceled. I'm joining the intellectual dark way. <laughs> I'm canceled. Uh, I cancel myself. Okay. All right, yes. So, okay, sorry, James. Well, what, you're saying what I, what I was uh, going to try to express uh, before Sanderson interrupted me so rudely is that I have known you for a long time, Greg, and I, you have always had a passion for community building and for building a more humanistic world, a world in which every person matters, where, you know, the dignity of all is recognized. That's how I kind of think about the humanist world that we're trying to build. But I've never really heard you speak so religiously about it until now. In the sense, There's something about the freeness with which you're talking about things like reparations and social justice and love, which feels to me a little different, like as if you feel a bit liberated to talk about your deepest concerns and, and values. Uh, I wonder- You know what it is, yeah. James? I don't give a crap anymore. I really don't. I, I, um, I really don't. Like, you know, it, it's, you know, if I have this job, if I don't have this job, like, if, you know, if people like what I'm saying, if people don't like, I mean, I struggle with it, you know, cause there's definitely times where I'm, I, you know, I go on Twitter and I'm like, ooh, love me love my tweet love my tweets you know uh but we do but you know well sometimes we do and sometimes we don't but that's okay, okay. um but you know it, it's um at the end of the day uh you know it, it's like there's no there's no answer to any of this there's no there's no like one form of community that you can build that makes you like a, a an expert at community building you know you can definitely have experience that 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 you know that you can bring to other people and that, that makes you solid what but i you know i think it's it's just like you know you're either part of something that is is you know trying to to care about other people or and not even, or you're not, it's, it's like, it, it's like, I don't know. You know what? I, I honestly, like, I, 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 thank you. You know, thank you for the compliment. I really appreciate it. I, it definitely feels like I don't give a crap anymore about some things and therefore I'm freer to give a crap about other things. Appreciate it. The, I'm glad to hear that. That must've been quite a big change. Like, what does it feel like in you as a person to, 
like not be not have that on your your sort of uh, very broad and manly shoulders i uh, yeah <laughs> right right um the, the the gun show um the i mean um i'll just say this i um i definitely look back on things that i did and experienced you know 10 15 20 years ago and i just sort of like i look back on it like it's another person mm. like um like it's a person that I have compassion for because, um, you know, he was just struggling along like everybody else. And, and, you know, if you're out there listening to this and, you know, and you're thinking like, I'm not living the life that I want to be living right now. Like, I hope that you'll a have a little compassion for yourself right in this moment. And then be, you know, be able to have a moment a few years from now, whether, you know, it's because you got therapy or you talk more with your friends or you opened up more, you journaled more or whatever it is. But I hope that you'll have that moment where you'll look back and you'll say, you know, like, I was just struggling. I was I was just having a hard time and I was having a hard time with myself. And, you know, it's OK. It's OK. Um, because, you know, all we can do is um, is try to understand and care a little bit more about ourselves and each other in in some very limited ways. But when it's genuine, it, it does tend to show. Um, and, and it does tend to make a difference, you know, like, like, like having a teacher in your life that you look back and you're like, oh man, I'm really glad I had that teacher, you know, or, or having, having a family member that you're thinking like, man, even though the rest of my family was blah, you know, if I hadn't had that one person that pulled me aside that one time, I would have been in really rough shape, you know, and it like, all we can do is try to make those moments and make those connections. And, um, and if we can be part of a movement that, that acknowledges that and that tries to therefore make them happen more frequently, like not every two seconds, but every couple days, you know, that's that's a lot. That's really good. That's really good. I think this is a great spot to end it on there. That Perfect. is wonderful. Greg, thanks so much for your time. That is, uh, where can Pleasure. people go to like those, uh, like those tweets, even though, <laughs> yeah, you are, I'm, I'm, even though you are good enough, even with uh, yeah, right. uh, unliked tweets, right. but where can they yeah, get no, well, you? Yes, the, you, can, you can go and, and um, see, sample my daily musings that I'll probably delete and um, <laughs> my more political tweets that I'll probably leave up um at uh, greg m epstein um and then i have a link tree from there um on my profile that can show you like all the, the different writing that i've done for the boston globe and TechCrunch most recently and um and my different websites and stuff like that so yeah you know go check it out and uh, i'll see you there yeah oh, greg thanks so much and it, this is one of those things we get to the end of these conversations and it just uh, makes me want to go and speak more we there's so much to talk oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, with yeah. your that the, the, the connection between this and socialism and democratic socialism and then your work in tech there's going to be great to keep on uh yeah, we'll, checking we'll, back we'll in keep in touch that's that's great sanderson thank uh, you very much and, you know pleasure and the, the, that's how you know you're you're making a difference and you're doing good things is you're you're having all these great conversations with people that you wanted to keep going so i i, I salute you and and uh, thank you and thanks to everybody and have a have a fun discussion and and um you know, I just appreciate being being able to be in your world for a second. It is moi encore. C'est moi, Sanderson. Je suis ici. Je parle dans l'appareil, le microphone. Uh, there we go. Uh, sort of uh, turns out I speak passable French, eh? Uh, and yeah, that was... Uh, so the way this sort of happens is that I go and we record the podcast and then generally 
sort of the day before I'll go and listen to it and so you know stuff comes back to you and I really love that conversation with Greg one thing that I'm really realizing in these podcasts is that I would always just want to speak to these people for for longer there's so much more that I want to dive into with them yeah I think with him it there's something really interesting about how he has sort of backed off some of the the ways that he used to go and try to like for instance with that humanist hub which is a non-religious congregation in trying to recreate church and he sort of backed off that a bit and so that really has made me think about all right what are in the life on this project what are the parts that we are worth keeping what are the parts that we should say oh no actually uh that's not so good what are the parts which are nowadays unrealistic in the world we live in like in the past, you know, there was there was nothing. There was no TV. It's not only there was nothing on the TV. The church was the most interesting thing in town. And now, like, there's if you've noticed, there's quite a lot of entertainment. Uh, so yeah, that got me thinking. And then in terms of this week, what's happening? Uh, got another small group this uh, evening. Uh, that's I have been a bit remiss on the sort of actually getting out there and speaking about it. I realise there's. And it's odd, like when I'm here, I can go and talk about the community and I love to really, I actually, I say that, but often I also do back away from it when in fact, like it's amazing to go and see the connections people have. And so if I'm backing away from it a bit here in the podcast, then sometimes when I'm online, I do feel really uh, backwards in coming forward because you don't want to say, oh, this stuff changes your life. It, but it does. That's the reason I do it, to hear stuff like this, uh, to hear those sorts of reactions from people. Yeah, so that's been something that I am sort of just grappling with in, and just, you know, yeah, uh, just trying to uh, start talking about uh, the community more because it's it's so great. So anyway, I'll, I'm going to be doing that. Pulling back to lifefulness here, one thing which I've realised is... I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast, is that there's that element of evangelism, which is a concept we've tried to translate as changing the world, but there's an element of evangelism which isn't necessarily about changing someone else's mind. I think it's more about the the act of saying something which is important to you, which might well be met with ridicule and that you can be rejected about and and I think there's in terms of like personal development there's yeah there's something about evangelism which really it's not about the person behind the door it's about the person who knocks so yeah there we go anyway uh thanks so much for listening you're wonderful uh sort of listeners to the enders uh, we have got some thanks to do. Thanks so much to James Croft, uh, your wonderful mate. Uh, thanks to Mavs, who is the brilliant uh, producer. Thanks to Will Andrews for designing the cover. And uh, thanks to Miro Schott and Roman Rapak for the music that you are listening to right now.